You're listening to Parents You've Got This, the expert guide to parenthood. The complete guide to pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. This podcast is brought to you by Parents You've Got This and proudly supported by Mastella. Mastella is a natural origin skincare for babies and children, recommended by healthcare professionals. Mastella by Parents Side since 1950. We have access to so much information about birth, but what is the best way to deliver your baby? Today, we discuss this really important topic, including what the long-term health outcomes are for both vaginal and cesarean section deliveries. Today, we're going to interview Dr. Peter Jersevic, who is an obstetrician and gynecologist with over 27 years of expertise. He specializes in high-risk pregnancies. He's one of the Australian pioneers of the maternally assisted cesarean. He's a head of obstetrics at the Royal Women's Hospital, and he also runs his own private practice at Francis Perry House. So Peter, thanks for joining us. I'd like to firstly ask, what are the pros of having a vaginal birth? Okay. I think the obvious one is that by design and with how all of us, be it humans and and animals, how we often deliver um, a birth through the vagina, through the birth canal, has been a part of the evolution of where we are as a species. Uh, And indeed, when we look at the majority of first-time mums, say 50% or so, 55%, will go on and have a normal delivery. If women who've had a vaginal birth the first time in whatever capacity, probably 95, 96% of them going on to have a vaginal delivery the next time, uh, the pro is that you're, you're part of the, the norm, so to speak. Uh, the other pro is that um, uh, I guess what we've become very used to from a societal perspective in terms of what we recommend, and we look at some of the data that comes out of the World Health Organization in the recommendation for a normal, healthy woman to go on if she's pregnant to have a normal delivery. And so this is an expert, an expert piece of advice coming from a well-governing health body. And so we should always be listening carefully to that. Recognising, of course, that they're talking about women across all broad ranges of society and even in, I guess, situations in third world countries where probably that's actually only their choice because of lack of access to medical care. When you have a vaginal delivery, and we'll assume we're talking about a normal birth where you push the baby out yourself, generally speaking, you're going to expect for most women a quicker recovery, an ability to be able to... Uh, move around easily, not having had an operative delivery in terms of a cut. And dare I say, if you haven't had to have an assistive vaginal delivery, so no forceps or vacuum, you shouldn't, as a general rule, be too uncomfortable from having pushed a human being out through the birth entrance. Now, of course, uh, for some women, there might be some some stitches, be it from a tear of a different magnitude or a cut, uh, and that won't have a different manif- you know, sort of ramification on how you'll feel. But for the majority of women, you'll be feeling a lot more comfortable than perhaps you would feel if you had had a cesarean section and the cut into the abdomen. When you're having a vaginal delivery, we talk a lot about the processes of baby exposure to some of the birth bacteria, birth canal bacteria, the microbiome. And there's certainly some evolving data at the moment about the importance of the baby having that bacteria as their first colonization of their skin and their bowel, rather than that first colonization coming from some sort of medicalized process, be it a cesarean section or the room of the ward that they're in or so on. Um, the interesting thing about that is it's an evolving set of data with, without necessarily being absolutely, you know, strongly recommended. And I guess one of the questions that sometimes gets posed in situations like this is that how do we know that your birth flora is, your birth canal flora is actually good flora? Yeah. Um, one of the arguments sometimes that can be put to women, and particularly women who, through no fault of their own, have various disease states, um, they might have some issues with weight, diabetes, blood pressure, they might have pre-existing renal endocrine disease or a bunch of other things 
And we talk a lot about the gastrointestinal system being the pathway to some of your immunity. And so by association, if there's a question mark about your own personal health and immunity, it makes you question your own gastrointestinal health. It makes you think, well, could that possibly be not good? And therefore, should I not be giving that to my baby? And it's an interesting point that sometimes gets raised in the scientific sort of community. But we certainly would encourage all women, if they can, to have that exposure at the moment um, in terms of microbiome. Uh, and then breastfeed, of course, afterwards, avoid unnecessary antibody exposure to your child in those first critical years of life. What are the cons, Pete, of a vaginal birth? I guess the cons would probably be largely related to when things maybe don't go so well. So there is going to be a percentage of women, particularly if you've had a very, very long labour and the muscle of the uterus fatigues in the process, and then the muscle of the uterus afterwards is unable to contract down well after the birth and you lead to what's called a postpartum hemorrhage or a bleed. So there's a percentage of women, and usually the statistic is quoted at 5%, so 1 in 20, who lose more than 500 mils of blood at the at the end of a birth through, dare I say, a bunch of reasons, be it birth fatigue, so the uterus is atonic and doesn't contract, or if you have birth canal trauma, so a tear of some sort, and that will be the two more common reasons. And, of course, if the placenta doesn't come out completely or easily and you get what's called a retained placental bleed. Uh, when you're having a vaginal delivery, we know that 90 to 95% of women, and I'm focusing very particularly on first-time mums, uh, whether you have a baby you push out yourself, uh, or if it's assisted with a forceps or a vacuum, will sustain a tear. All right, now we grade tears as first, second, third, and fourth. And a first is really just a slight breach of the mucosa, and a second degree is where we start to get some muscle involvement, deep tissue. A third degree is where we start to potentially involve the muscle sphincter in the anus, and of course that is helping you control your fecal control and your and your you know your passing of wind. And a fourth degree tear is where there's a really a cut tear all the way right through into the bottom. And as a doctor and as any care provider would who delivers women, you would absolutely strongly try to avoid getting a third or a fourth degree tear. But when you recognise that 90-95% of the women that you're delivering are going to end up with a tear, what we're talking about most. Uh, and so with that comes the potential for discomfort afterwards. Uh, that can occasionally lead to issues with your ability to be coitally active with your partner soon after the birth, and even sometimes in a small percentage of women, some months down the track, which is really you know, sometimes a part of a woman's identity and their relationship, uh, and just the discomfort that comes with it. When you uh, push a baby out or if a baby is assisted, but we'll talk about a normal birth where you push the baby out, and we'll talk about an average baby, 3.2, 3.5, 3.7 kilos, you're pushing a human being through your birth canal and as a result through your pelvic floor, the lobator muscle. And that muscle gets stretched. And when you stretch a muscle, that muscle then has to repair itself because that muscle is doing important things. It's keeping all your organs in. It's helping to support the tissue of the vagina. And so if it's not supported, it can lead to prolapse. And of course, it has to help to in your bladder function and bladder control so you don't lose control of your bladder. And we know that worldwide, up to 40% of women who have a baby, and this is more so in the group of women who have a vaginal birth over, a, say, a caesarean section, there will be some injury to the pelvic muscles and pelvic supports, which can lead to incontinence. Now, that incontinence might be mild. It might be just occasionally with a bad cold or a bad cough, hay fever, jumping on a trampoline, you'll just have a little bit of loss of control of your bladder, but it's not a social impediment and it's nothing you're bothered by and it's discreet. But there are some women where their entire life is damaged by severe incontinence, hyperactive bladder, lack of control of the bladder in multiple situations. Their entire day is planned around when they drink, where a bathroom is, how they go about living their life. Enormous amounts of money, corrective surgeries required and so on. 
and this can be lifelong and life damaging and expensive and that is a reality for women for some women who have a vaginal delivery which potentially becomes less of a reality if the baby didn't come through the birth canal and this is something that we think very carefully about as obstetricians and, and midwives as accoucheurs delivering babies in understanding what the implications of a birth might be not just that i had a normal birth or i had an easy assisted birth but what are the consequences to my body afterwards and dare i say tearing and the bleeding risk and some of the damage and the impacts of that are, are big issues yeah they can potentially be lifelong issues mm. for the patient can't they mm. yeah well what about a c-section birth peter what are the pros of having a c-section sure so there are certain situations where we would argue that that is the only choice a placenta previa is an absolute casing point where you've got a placenta blocking the cervix. You simply can't get the baby out any other way and a cesarean section is required and, and, and there's no debating about that. Um, women nowadays, uh, a vast majority when a baby is born breech, so this is where the bottom's coming first rather than the head, there is some evidence from literature and so on that there are slightly higher risks associated with a breech vaginal birth compared to a cesarean section birth. And some women will look at those data points and decide that they want to go with the lower risk option for the baby. And so they'll have a cesarean section. Uh, when you are birthing two children at a time, twins, triplets, rarely, quadruplets, even rarer. But a situation where there's two babies coming, sometimes the position the babies are in, the size of the babies, mitigating factors, how many children you're going to have, your understanding of the risk benefits of an attempt of a birth, with twins, particularly as a first-time mum, you're you know, having your first birth, but two babies coming. There are some women who will uh, take on a caesarean section as their preferred mode of delivery because they believe that that's the safer choice for them. Yeah. There are also a growing number of women who are making a decision to have an elective caesarean section, as you would call them a low-risk first-time parent, because of their understanding of some of the various pluses and minuses associated with both birth modalities and they're not feeling good about the possibility of birth trauma that sometimes happens with a vaginal delivery. A friend, a family member, a mother's had a bad experience. Uh, I alluded to a situation some time ago where disappointing a woman had had a very poor childhood with some inappropriate sexual impropriety from another family member and the devastation psychologically that caused her. And she just did not want anyone going down near her vaginal anatomy. She wanted a Caesar to bypass and so, you know, we respect a woman's choice if they understand the risk benefits, particularly after a talk like tonight and when we go through things that we do. So, Pete, what are the cons for having a caesarean birth? At the end of the day, it's an operative process and operations carry risks. So all operations, almost any part of the body, will incur a localised infection risk when you cut the skin, bugs can get in, and a bleeding risk. You can bleed and the uterus is a very vascular organ. So infection and bleeding are risks. But we have um, surgical skill, sterility processes, antibiotics that we administer, things we can do where we can mitigate those risks to really 1% or less. Uh, the bladder sits in front of the uterus and it needs to be delicately pushed out of the way, cathetorized before we start, so we don't injure the bladder. And you know, injuring a bladder can have complications and consequences. Bladders are blessedly very resilient organs, so even when cut, they do stitch up and heal well. But still, we don't want to do that and we would hate there to be a consequence to it. Uh, pelvic surgery and the changes in your physiology, your coagulation in pregnancy and so on can lead to a high risk of blood clots in the legs, more so from a season if you have a vaginal birth. And so we're aware of that risk and it is a risk. But of course, we would be giving a medication to mitigate that risk. 
you'll be sore afterwards to a greater or lesser degree. And if you are particularly sore, that can be incapacitating, challenging for you to move around after the birth, challenging for you to mother your baby, challenging for you to do domestic you know, duties in the first couple of weeks after you go home, albeit normally that will improve itself. And of course, you're having an anaesthetic and the anaesthetic has its own implications, usually none. But of course, there's always going to be the rarities of complications from anaesthesia, whether it be a spinal epidural and rarely a GA. So from what you're saying, Peter, is there a better mode or form of delivery? I would like to think that people could look at me and say, Peter, what do you advocate for? And all I can do is say this, I advocate for choice. I advocate for good birth education. I advocate for women understanding their body and their circumstances. I come from a background where my partner had three normal births. She had very good birth education. She had extraordinary capacity to control her pain naturally in labour. Um, she pushed our children out herself without, without assistance. She had no stitches. And you would look at that and say, well, that's the gold standard. But I've also had a large number of other women who, by circumstance and some of the things I've alluded to tonight, have made a decision to have a caesarean section and those births have been extremely good for them and there have been no consequences from it. So I wish I could say there is in fact actually one correct answer and that the World Health Organization's answer is the answer or the college that I work under has got an advocacy where they say it should be this birth or that birth. I really ultimately think it comes down to a woman understanding all the things that her body is going to go through, what her baby is going to go through, what can happen immediately, the tangential things that can happen in labour, going to have a normal delivery, going to have a forceps, maybe having a epidural, maybe not, maybe being incontinent, maybe not, maybe having issues you know, afterwards with bleeding, maybe not, having a caesar, could be easy, could be very sore afterwards, you know, is it going to protect my pelvic floor, what's the absolutes? It isn't a one-size-fits-all answer, and I wish I could give that answer because people are very deserving of it. What I would say is that there'll be situations where it is a choice and there'll be situations where it's a necessity. And hopefully when it's a necessity, the care provider, the information you get, you'll trust that information and you'll say, well, you say I need a Caesar, I need it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Pete, for sharing your insight into this really important debate with us tonight. And a big thanks to Mastella for sponsoring this episode. If you want a product that can protect your baby's skin against nappy rash, try Mastella's Vitamin Barrier Cream. Dermatologist and paediatrician tested, it soothes the skin from the first application and offers long-lasting protection that lasts until the next nappy change. Recommended by 98% of Aussie parents. Next week on The Pod, we have our women's physio expert, Annette Beecham, talking all about birth recovery. You've been listening to the Expert Guide to Parenthood. Never forget, parents, you've you've got got this. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, a discussion with your doctor or healthcare professional. Parents You've Got This take no responsibility for any medical decisions made by individuals based on the information provided in this podcast. Join a Parents You've Got This masterclass today to be prepared, excited and educated for pregnancy, birth, baby and parenthood. Visit www.parentsyou'vegotthis.com.au and sign up for a masterclass today.